0: What's going on everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast hosted by Joey Millar. So today I'm going to break down a busy day in the world of Boston sports yesterday. I'll start off talking about Patrice Bergeron's retirement. Then I'll get into Kika Hernandez being traded by the Red Sox. I'll talk about Jalen Brown's Supermax extension with the Celtics. And then I'll dive into some news around the New York Giants with two players getting signed over the last day. One to a one-year deal, another to a long-term extension. And then at the end, I will talk about A big storyline in the world of soccer to close out the episode. So let's start off with Patrice Bergeron's retirement. One of the best two-way forwards in NHL history. Has called it a career after 19 seasons with the Boston Bruins. He just turned 38 years old a couple days ago now. Came back last year on a one-year deal. And did contemplate doing the exact same thing this upcoming season as well. And doing a one-year deal, veteran minimum. And coming back and giving the Bruins a spot they need at the forward position. But ultimately, he has decided to call it a career after 19 years with the franchise. Obviously, one of the best Bruins of all time. Now, it brings to question what's going to happen with David Krejci. I'd imagine he retires as well. It seems like the Bruins are going into a new era without David Krejci, without Patrice Bergeron. And it'll definitely be a new look Bruins team this upcoming season without Bergeron in that locker room, being the leader at the center position, being one of the best two-way forwards in the game. Obviously, that's a big loss there for the Bruins. In a statement yesterday, he wrote, Finally, to the next generation of hockey players, I had a dream at 12 years old, and through hard work and perseverance, my dreams came true, more than I ever could have, have imagined. Respect the game and your peers, welcome adversity, and simply enjoy yourself. No matter where you go from there, the game will bring you so much happiness. I thought that was a great way to close the statement. And then in his press conference today, he mentioned that it wasn't just one moment. That made him realize it was time to hang up his skates. He said it was really just a combination of things, being able to spend more time with his family. And then also, he said he is happy to go out on the top of his game, still being a very productive player in the NHL. Won the Selkie Award two years in a row in the end of his career. That's very impressive. I mean, at 36 and 37 years old, he won the Selkie Award two times in a row to close out his career, which is given to the best defensive forward in the NHL. Along with those accolades, he was also a three-time All-Star and a 2011 Stanley Cup champion. Had a great run there with the Bruins, obviously, over those 19 years, just about two decades playing there for the Black and Gold. So it's a sad day for the Bruins, but it was an honor being able to watch him compete for the Bruins for so long. Absolute legend, and it was truly a pleasure being able to watch him night in and night out go out there for the Bruins and just be an absolute warrior, whether he's playing through injuries injuries making things happen when everybody just gave up, never quitting. I mean, Patrice Bergeron's everything you want in a leader. And even though he wasn't as vocal as some other players are on the ice, he definitely was that leader they needed in the locker room, though, especially at big moments. They did say he got a little bit more of a vocal leadership role over the last few years, but he was always kind of a quiet leader at the end of the day. He wasn't going to be yelling at everybody. He was always there, obviously, to keep everybody up and motivated. And if you look at his stats over his career, 50 career playoff goals, which is third most in Bruins history, Also ranks third most in games played for the Boston Bruins with 1,294, third in goals with the Bruins, 427, fourth in assists with 613, and then also fourth in power play goals with 131, and third in points with 1040 in Bruins franchise history. Also has the most career face-offs won in NHL history at 15,000. 182. What a legendary career for Patrice Bergeron, a kid that the Bruins drafted when he was 18 years old, and he made such a great career here in Boston. So thank you, Bergeron, for everything, and obviously it won't be the same without you. So now I'm going to move on to another story in the world of Boston sports yesterday, that was Kika Hernandez being traded from the Boston Red Sox to the Los Angeles Dodgers, a place where he called home for six years in the middle part of his career, a place where he won a World Series in 2020 with the Dodgers and had a pretty productive career with the Dodgers overall in six seasons. Hit 240 for the Dodgers with a 312 on base percentage, a 737 OPS to go along with 68 home runs, 213 RBIs and a 425 slugging percentage over six years. Did help them win a World Series and was a very versatile play defensively for them. Could really play everywhere, and that was one of the biggest things that the Red Sox liked about Kike was that he could play second base, shortstop, and center field. Obviously, he did struggle at shortstop this season for the Red Sox. That was a failure of an experiment there, putting him at shortstop for the whole season. He played 64 games at shortstop for the Sox on the season, 14 games in center field, and 21 at second base. His struggles at shortstop was something the Red Sox didn't really anticipate, but now he's going back to the Dodgers, a place that really needs a middle infielder there to help out. They want Mookie Betts to get back to right field, and that's the main reason they traded for Kike Hernandez, because they wanted to put somebody at second base or shortstop, so Mookie Betts doesn't have to play the middle infield anymore at second base or short and can go back to right field, and now Kike could definitely help out with that role. Also can play center field as well. Dave Roberts just noted in an interview yesterday or today that his favorite thing about Kike Hernandez is his versatility. He can play anywhere. Also, he noted that Kike is a good leader as well and help out that Los Angeles Dodgers locker room this year. But if you look at Kike's career with the Red Sox, he really was only good just for the 2021 playoff run where he hit five home runs, had nine RBIs, hit 385 for batting average in 11 playoff games where the Red Sox went all the way to the ALCS, ended up losing to the Houston Astros, but Kike was electric in that 2021 run. If you look at his career overall, in three seasons in Boston, played 313 games, hitting 234 overall with a .308 on base percentage, a .382 slugging percentage, and a 690 OPS to go along with 32 home runs, or 136 runs batted in, four stolen bases, and 70 doubles in 313 games. Could play everywhere for the Red Sox, which they liked. They put him at second base. He played some shortstop for the Red Sox. Obviously, yes, he has 64 games. is more than the Red Sox would ever want him to play at shortstop. But he played second short center. All in his time here with the Red Sox. And that's one thing they liked was his versatility. That's something Alex Corr always raved about. But for Kike, it was really just the 2021 playoff run that a lot of fans really latched onto, saying that he was so good and, you know, he should still deserve a spot in the lineup when the Red Sox re and people were excited about it because they thought they were going to get back to Kike from 2021, the playoff run. But in reality, that was just... One stint there, he really was hot for the most part. He was average with the Red Sox, he was never really a good leadoff hitter as well. The Sox put out leadoff actually for a lot of last season for some reason, and that just didn't work out. That was an experiment that failed rather quickly. But if you look at what he did this year, he struggled all the season 222 batting average for the Red Sox, 279 a base percentage, a 599 OPS with just six home runs and 31 runs batted in. So his numbers obviously weren't great here for the Red Sox this season. He was average for the most part, if not below average during his tenure with the Sox besides that 2021 playoff run. But Dave Roberts, the Dodgers manager, did note that he saw some things in Kike's swing mechanically that he could help him fix and tweak to get him back on track of the plate. So we'll see if he actually ends up being productive at the plate for the Dodgers. Maybe they'll fix his swing and help him out. Maybe it's a swinging at pitches outside the zone. Maybe it's not getting up in the count maybe it's not swinging level high not really too sure what Dave Roberts saw in film there but he did say he's excited to have Kike Hernandez back as is the entire Dodgers fan base everybody's psyched to have him back in a Dodgers uniform I think they were upset that he ended up leaving after they won the World Series in 2020 played three seasons with the Red Sox now he's back at 31 years old with the Los Angeles Dodgers so now let's look at what the Red Sox get back in return and that is two relief pitches, Justin Hagenman, and then they also get Nick Robertson, two right-handed relief pitches from the Los Angeles Dodgers farm system. And now I'm going to break down two things about each of these guys here, talk about their stats and then maybe what they throw as well. So let's look at Hagenman to start he has a 4-0 record in 55 innings with a 2.78 ERA and 60 strikeouts in AAA in the year. Throws a lot of strikes. He's very good with command and then has a decent changeup as well he likes going to. Throws a slider as well and can throw in the 90s with his two-seam fastball. As for Robertson, he's the 25th best prospect in the Los Angeles Dodgers farm system, which is a win in my eyes here for High and Bloom. That Dodgers farm system is so strong and always so stacked. To get the 25th best prospect for Kiki Hernandez, who's on an expiring contract and probably would have been designated for assignment very soon with Trevor Story coming back, that is a win. If you look at Robertson, he's 6'6", foot six, Big guy. Throw strikes, has 7 saves and 27 appearances this year in AAA. For the Dodgers, had a 2.54 ERA in those 27 games and also holding bad to a 184 batting average against them. He did make it up to the major leagues actually for 9 games this season. Had a 6.1 ERA giving up 7 runs in 10 of the 3rd innings for the Dodgers. He's been really good though in AAA and maybe the Red Sox can help him develop a little bit more. But he's been great. One of the best relievers in AAA and loves going to his changeup. That's his favorite pitch to go to. So we'll see what happens with Robinson and Hagenman. But I think in return for Kiki Hernandez, that's a great return there. So Haim Bloom gets a win there in my eyes. So now I'm going to move on to the other big part of Boston sports yesterday. That was a huge storyline. That was Jalen Brown's Supermax extension with the Boston Celtics. He has a five-year deal at $304 million, which is the richest contract in NBA history. He's under contract now through the 2028-2029 season. The 26-year-old guard had a 26.6 point per game season this past year, averaging 6.9 rebounds, 3.5 assists, and 1.1 steals per game. The former third overall pick was the second team all NBA selection this past year, and that was the reason he was eligible on July 1st for a Supermax extension. Ends up getting it from the Celtics. They did negotiate for about three and a half weeks to figure out the total money in the trade kicker, but ultimately Brown gets $304 million, which is the most money in a single contract in NBA history. A lot of Celtics fans are upset by this, but I think at the end of the day, the Celtics did the right thing. You have to keep them. And I know a lot of people are upset with how he performed in Game 7, but I think people are weighing his Game 7 performance too much. He didn't play well in Game 7 and obviously struggled with the turnovers and shooting. But Jason Tatum didn't do well in that Heat series for the most part either. Despite the injury even in Game 7, Tatum didn't play well in Games 1 through 6 really. No one mentions that though because everybody wants to just defend Tatum and always blame Jalen Brown. But at the end of the day, Jason Tatum is just as much at fault for the Celtics going down 3-0 as Jalen Brown is. They're both at fault for it in my eyes. And they both deserve some blame. Brown now does get the biggest contract, though, which I'll give you a little bit more of my thoughts in just one second. I'm just going to break down a few more details of the contracts. So now, he has one more year left on his current deal, and then this new deal will kick in next season, where he's going to make $52.3 million during the 2024-2025 season, and he'll end up making $69.1 million in the final year of this new deal in 2028-2029. Tatum and Brown last year were great together. They averaged 56.7 points per game, which is actually the fourth most by a duo since the 1976-1977 merger, according to ESPN, which obviously it shows that these two guys, when they are on, are very capable of making a run. And obviously you've seen that over the last couple seasons with them going to the NBA Finals two years ago and then this past season, losing in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Miami Heat. And now with this new contract for Jalen Brown, the Celtics have $185 million committed to nine players in not this upcoming season, but the season following this one. So the 2024-2025 season, they have $185 million already committed, which puts them already, according to Brian Robb of MassLive.com, puts them already in luxury tax territory. And that's even without filling out the 15-man roster with just nine players, On the 2024-2025 roster which this is obviously projected some guys could get traded before then but right now they have nine guys under contract for the 2024-2025 season a year from now just about they still would have to fill six more players on that roster they already have nine guys at 185 million Partly is because of the Kristaps Porzingis trade. He's making a boatload of money as well. And then Jason Tatum will be getting a Supermax extension next summer as well that would start in the 2025-2026 season, but he would get a big Supermax extension next year. So that means the Celtics at some point are going to have to make a decision on Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Kristaps Pozingas. You can't really have three guys taking up 90% of the salary cap in the 2025-2026 season. They're going to have to figure things out, and they'll obviously be in the luxury tax by that point as well, if they do have all three of those guys on the roster two years from now. So, The Celtics have a lot to figure out over the next year and a half to really determine whether or not they want to actually run it with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in Kristaps Pozingas. By that point in the 2025-2026 season, they take up 90% of the salary cap. So obviously that's something the Celtics don't really want to run into. So my guess right now is that Jason Tatum will still be a Celtic, maybe in the 2025, 2026 season. But I think Jalen Brown requests a trade in the next year or two. I think the trade kicker, which he ends up getting in this deal, was a big thing that Jalen Brown was advocating for. He wanted a trade kicker that would give him a certain amount of money, a lump sum of money, if the Celtics were indeed going to trade him. He would get a certain amount of money from the Celtics if he were to be ever dealt. And I think that's something he was advocating for for a reason. And if you look at it, I think he was upset over the last few years with the Celtics always putting him in trade rumors. And then another factor is I don't think he always wants to be living in the shadow of Jason Tatum. I think he wants to be the number one guy on his own team. So I think Jalen Brown will indeed request a trade at some point. So by 2025, 2026, maybe the Celtics won't need to worry about having all three of these guys on the roster making max and super max money. So we'll see what the Celtics end up doing with those three guys. But I think Jalen Brown will request a trade at some point. So the Celtics did give Jalen Brown, obviously, a lot of money. And part of the reason he gets a super max deal is because the Celtics are the only team that could offer him this much money. If he were to get a max extension on the open market, it would have been projected at four years, $161 million. Then if you look at it with the new CBA coming in, the potential max deal for Jalen Brown in an extension would have been four years at $189 million, which would have made up 30% of the salary cap. And then you look at the difference of what the Supermax extension is, he got five years at $304 million. He was projected at five years, $290, $295 million, which is roughly 35% of the salary cap since he made All-NBA this past season. So he really makes $100 million more million more by signing with the Celtics than he would have if he left after this upcoming season ended and went elsewhere in free agency. So that's why I think he came back with the Celtics. The Celtics really didn't have an option but to pay him. They had no other option but to pay him. And I think Jalen Brown signed it to get the most money possible. And I think he requests a trade within the next season. I don't think he wants to be in the shadow of Jason Tatum forever, who I think eventually could want O2 at some point. Who knows? But with Jason Tatum being max extension eligible next summer, and he's going to make even more money than Jalen Brown is, I of he's going to leave in free agency at that point. I think he's going to take his super max extension next summer just to make the most money possible. But I've always said that at some point in his career, I think Jason Tatum is going to end up on the Lakers just because he grew up a big Kobe Bryant fan. He's always loved Kobe Bryant. I think he wants to be a Laker and pay tribute to Kobe Bryant in some way, shape or form by being a Laker at some point in his career. But I don't think that's going to be right away. I think that's going to be the end of his career. Maybe when the super max extension is over with, which I think would be in the year 2030, is when he'd be a free agent after this new Supermax extension he would get next summer. So we'll see what happens with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I think for the Celtics, they really had no option but to pay him. You don't want to risk him leaving in free agency next year. I think for Jalen Brown, it just made sense for him to accept this deal, take the most money possible, and then request a trade within the next year. He did advocate for the trade kicker for a big reason. And I think that's because he'd want out one day from the Celtics. I think he takes the most money here possible, and then if he is shipped out one day, he still gets all this money in this contract, and then would also get the trade kicker as well from the Celtics. We'll see what he ends up doing in the future, but obviously as of now, he's locked up with the Celtics for another five years plus the one year left on his deal. So he's still a Celtic for another six seasons through the 2028-2029 season. And one thing that was leveraged for the Celtics here in this situation was that no other team could offer Jalen Brown more than 30% of their salary cap. However, the Celtics could offer Jalen Brown 35% of their salary cap, and he wasn't going to be willing to go elsewhere and take less money, I don't think. I think he wanted his most amount of money possible, and rightfully so, mean, he's a very good player. Had a season where he averaged 26.6 points per game with seven rebounds, three and a half assists, and a steal per game. Obviously, a very good season this past year for Jalen Brown, and I've always supported Brown more than Tatum. I always thought that we should build around Brown more than we should build around Tatum. And I've said that for years now, my radio show. I remember in December of 2021, I was live on air on 90.3 FM radio, which is Newton station at the WZBC studio. That's in the FM part though, rather than the AM, which I was usually on. But I remember saying to my friend, Zach, we had the playbook of Joey and Zach, we were live on air and we were debating who to build around Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. I always said Jalen Brown was more my style of a player to build around. I like Jalen Brown, he's underrated, I think. And then when you look at Jason Tatum, I think he's a little bit overrated. I don't really think he's as good as most Celtics fans think. I think he's a good player, but I don't see him as a top five talent in the NBA like most Celtics fans do. At some point, I'm going to do a whole ranking of every NBA player going into next season. So you'll see then where I have Jason Tatum in the NBA. But I think he's just outside of the top 10. I don't think he's a top 10 player in the NBA like most people do. Jalen Brown's not a top 10 player in the NBA either, but I think Jalen Brown is underrated compared to how overrated I think Jason Tatum is. One last thing I want to mention before I switch topics here is the fact that a year from now, when Giannis Antetokounmpo gets a new extension and Jason Tatum gets his Supermax deal as well for the Boston Celtics, this Jalen Brown deal will no longer be the richest deal in NBA history. It'll be the richest deal only for a year, and then it's going to be broken. And it's not going to be the richest deal. Every single year, more and more players are making more and more money. Just like when everybody was mad that Daniel Jones was making top 10 quarterback money, I said, wait for Joe Burrow. Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence, and Justin Herbert to be paid. With all those five guys getting deals at some point, with three of them now being already signed to long-term deals, we're just waiting on Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence to get long-term extensions. Justin Herbert did just get paid yesterday by the Los Angeles Chargers. And then this offseason as well, Jalen Hurts was paid. And Lamont Jackson was too. So if you look at it with all those guys getting paid, Daniel Jones is going to make less money in average value per year than those five quarterbacks I just named. Daniel Jones currently is tied for 10th highest paid quarterback and highest paid player in the NFL. That's with Dak Prescott and Matt Stafford being tied at 10th with him. But once Burrow is paid and once Trevor Lawrence is paid, Daniel Jones will slip to 12th in quarterback average annual value. And then who knows what the future holds for other quarterbacks that are young right now as well. Maybe Daniel Jones even slips further than that, but he's going to be tied for 12th with Dak Prescott and Matt Stafford a year from now, when Burrow's going to be paid probably very soon, and the Trevor Lawrence, probably next offseason, gets himself a massive contract with a lot of average money per year. So we'll see what happens there, but I think a lot of people get upset by Jalen Brown getting the money he gets, but that's just a reality situation. More and more players are getting paid higher and higher amounts of money, just like quarterbacks are going to more and more money each and every year because it's the most important position in the game of football. That's why Daniel Jones is making the money he makes. And I know a lot of people are upset by that, but the reality of the situation is this every quarterback that's a starting quarterback in the NFL now, they make $30 million plus. Everybody wants Daniel Jones to get a $15 million deal because they don't think he's that good. Well, every quarterback is getting $30 million, $35 million if you're a starting quarterback in the NFL. So Daniel Jones deserves his $40 million per year. As for Jalen Brown, He'll be the highest-paid player for one season, and then a year from now, there'll be a richer player in the NBA with more money in a single contract. So we'll see what happens there. I know a lot of people are upset about that, but the reality of the situation is that it's going to keep getting more and more expensive to sign bigger players, and that means more and more players are going to be making more and more money every single year. So just a year from now, Jason Tatum will be making more money in his contract in a Supermax deal with the Celtics than Jalen Brown is, and Jalen Brown will no longer be the richest player in the NBA. People are upset by Brown getting that money because of how poor he performed in Game 7. That's just one game. People are weighing that game too much on Jalen Brown. I still think he's a fantastic talent and a great play to build around on a contending team. So we'll see what happens in the future there, but I know a year from now, there'll be a richer player in the NBA for sure, especially with new media and television deals coming soon. So now I'm going to move on to some news for the New York Giants, starting off with Saquon Barkley agreeing to a one-year deal yesterday with the New York Giants, a one-year $10.09 million deal with the Giants with an $8.09 million base salary with a $2 million signing bonus as well. Barkley and the Giants cannot come to a consensus before the July 17th deadline on a long-term extension, which is given to franchise tagged players. They get a July 17th deadline to negotiate with their team to figure out a long-term deal. The Giants did not come to a consensus with Barkley. They offered $23 million guaranteed in a deal right before the July 17th deadline was over. Barkley didn't agree to it. The Giants were around $1 to $2 million off with Barkley in their negotiations. And then they ended up figuring things out. And now Barkley will be back on a one-year $10 million deal to be back with the Giants in the backfield. I think at the end of the day, It would have been a lose-lose situation if Bakri decided to sit out for both sides. The Giants obviously want Saquon back. Maybe not for the price that Saquon wanted in a long-term extension. And then if he sat out... It's obviously no good for the Giants. They lose their starting running back. And then for Saquon, he's missing out on $10 million and then also potentially putting himself in a tough position next year to get some money since it really hurt leaving on Bell when he decided to sit out under the franchise tag. He never was the same back after that. So it's obviously a tough situation for Barkley, tough situation for the Giants as well. Joe Shane ends up winning the battle there, getting Saquon back on a one-year deal up to $11 million with incentives. Barkley has incentives on that contract where he could get up to $11 million. He could get $303,000 for 1,350 yards with a playoff berth. He could also get a $303,000 total. If he got 11 touchdowns in a playoff berth, that's 11 total touchdowns between rushing and receiving. And then he could also get 303000 for 65 receptions in a playoff berth. So all that adding up to $11 million total he could earn up to with $909,000 worth of incentives. So what been a lose-lose situation if Barkley ended up not playing? So I'm happy the sides have come to an agreement. Obviously, Saquon will be upset not get the long-term deal he wanted. But we'll see what happens this upcoming season. Bakri had a great year last year, 1,312 yards on the ground, fourth best in the NFL. And he also had 1,650 yards from the line of scrimmage, which was also seventh best in the NFL. So very productive year for Bakri last year. And now he goes back to an offense that got even better this past year, adding weapons like Darren Waller, adding Jalen Hyatt in the draft, John Michael Schmitz, a center in the draft as well. They really got a good amount of players this offseason to help out Daniel Jones on offense. And getting Saquon Barkley back is obviously huge. Daniel Jones' stats with Bakley in the lineup is a lot better than his stats without Saquon in the lineup. I think Daniel Jones is just as much capable with Saquon or without Saquon. I do think Saquon Barkley definitely makes the offense better, but I don't really like the narrative that Saquon Barkley makes him good. I think they're very complementary and they make each other both better. I think Daniel Jones does a lot of good things on his own without Saquon. And then obviously Saquon does open up the run game as well to help him out, especially on those options. But Daniel Jones had some drives last year, like against the Green Bay Packers, where he had to go 95 yards down the field just about – With Barkley on the sidelines, Jones did that on his own with minimal receiving help, especially with all the injuries the Giants had last year at the wide receiver position. And at the end of that drive that I'm talking about here, it was a touchdown by Gary Brightwell, my boy, who I think should still be the RB2. I think Gary Brightwell should still get touches for this Giants team. I think he's very capable of being a very productive back in the NFL if given the opportunities. I've liked what I've seen from him as a kick turner. He's shifty, does have some good hands out of the backfield as well. Had some impressive catches actually last year when he was running routes. Some balls that... He probably shouldn't have caught, but he made some acrobatic grabs to reel them in. So I think he should get more opportunities to be the RB2. I really like Gary Brightwell and definitely have been an advocate for him now over the last year. Even more now, so just being able to see him play in that Week 17 game or Week 18 game it was against the Eagles. Saw a lot of good things from him in that game when he was the starting running back with Saquon Baca on the sidelines. Uh, since the Giants really just sat out a lot of the starters in that game since they really didn't need to win that game. They were locked into the last Wildcard spot no matter what. So I would love to see Brightwell still be the RB2. But now to get back with Saquon Barkley here. According to Sports Illustrated, when they take Saquon Barkley in March, the Giants were attempting to trade him ultimately did not find a suitor that wanted to pay the price to get Saquon. I think it was two first round picks. uh, If you try to trade for franchise take player and nobody really wants to give that up. And then also no one would probably give Saquon Barkley the extension he would have wanted. So at the end of the day, didn't really work out there for Saquon, uh, especially with his agent. I think his agent actually wanted Saquon to be traded, but I think his agent is definitely to blame for this situation here. Saquon was offered a multi-year deal multiple times, even before free agency started, right before the Giants signed Daniel Jones. He was offered even more money than he was offered right at the July 17th deadline. The Giants didn't really ever changed their offer after that they really just kind of stayed hovering around 22 23 million I think it started at 18 19 million they got up to 22 23 and Buckley still wanted a few more million guaranteed so at the end of the day it's on his agent I believe here and that's the reason Saquon Barkley didn't get the money he wanted but there is a diminishing market for the running back position and one thing that Stephen A. Smith pointed out yesterday on first take was that of 125 players in the NFL making 15 plus million dollars per year in their average annual contract value. So there's 125 players making $15 million a year. Only two of those 125 players are running backs. Just two, Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey. And this current situation is partly the reason that running backs in the NFL met on Zoom over the last week to talk about their market being just an absolute disaster. And it was partly because of the Saquon Barkley situation, but also the Josh Jacobs situation with the Las Vegas Raiders. It also included some other start running backs, not even just those two guys, Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs, but also included Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey, Nick Chubb. and It was also put together by start running back for the Chargers, Austin Eckler, who is upset with his current contract. But these players met because of the market being just such a disaster right now. They're all upset that running backs aren't being valued like they think they should be. And at the end of the day, running back is a brutal position to play. Obviously, you get hit every single play and you don't really take many snaps off as a star running back. So you get hit and get a lot of touches every single game. So obviously, you do get worn down. That's why a lot of GMs are reluctant to give running backs big contracts because a lot of the time when they get paid, they get worn down anyways. And the shelf life of a running back, they say, is around three or four years. And that's why a lot of teams would rather just draft a seventh-round running back, play them for two or three years, maybe draft a fourth-round running back here or there, and then just move on and move on to the next guy before giving them a new contract extension. If they draft them in the first round like the Giants did with Saquon Barkley, you tag the guy. Guy, try to keep him for another year on that tag maybe take him a second year and then you're on to another running back even though I don't think that's the way it should be that's just the reality of the situation right now in the NFL even though I think Saquon Barkley deserves a three or four year deal the reality is the running back market is diminishing is diminishing if you look at the Super Bowl winning team's running back since 2009 the base salary of all those running backs it's not high at all the 2009 Saints Pierre Thomas making 460000 he was their Super Bowl leading rusher 2010, Green Bay Packers, James Stocks, 320000 base salary. 2011, New York Giants, Ahmad Bradshaw, $1.5 million. 2012, Ravens, Ray Rice, $2 million. 2013, Seahawks, Percy Hovind was a leading rusher in that game, $2.5 million. 2014, the Patriots, LeGarrette Blunt, 730000 base salary. 2015, the Broncos, CJ Anderson, 585000 2016, Patriots, LeGarrette Blunt, 760000 Yet again, 2017, Eagles here, though, instead of Patriots, LeGarrette Blunt, $900,000. So two years in a row, he was a Super Bowl-leading rusher for the winning team, making $760,000 and $900,000. Also, in 2014, as I said as well, getting $730,000 as a base salary. Then in 2018, Patriots, Sony Michel, $480,000. 2019, Chiefs, Damian Williams making $1.05 million. 2020, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Leonard Fournette making $2 million as a base salary. 2021, Los Angeles Rams, Cam Akers, $890,000. 2022, Kansas City Chiefs, Isaiah Pacheco, 870000 So the whole narrative around the running back position now in the NFL is that you can win the Super Bowl without a big, high-paid NFL running back, you don't need a star running back to win the Super Bowl. You can just have a guy like Isaiah Pacheco that you draft in the seventh round with a base salary of around 870000 and win the Super Bowl with them. Get everything you can out of them and then go on to the next running back in the draft. That's the whole mindset now of the media and every GM, it seems like, in the NFL. But the way I see it is, if the running back's talented and they help you improve your offense and obviously you're a dynamic player like Saquon Barkley... Yes, running backs don't really last as long as, let's say, some quarterbacks do. Obviously, Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, very long careers. Not every running back is going to have a very long career like Adrian Peterson did in the NFL. But at the end of the day, if they're a talented player like Saquon Barkley is, and they make that offense better, and they're still healthy and still productive like Saquon was this past season, then why not pay them at the end of the day? I know you don't want to give a monster contract like Christian McCaffrey got in Alvin Kamara, but at the end of the day, running backs deserve to get the money That's equal to the value they bring on your field. The value they bring to your offense, they deserve to get. And that's why Saquon Barkley is upset with the money he got. But if you look at it, there was outrage on Twitter in the running back community uh, among NFL running backs. They're all upset with the Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs situation. I'm going to actually read out some of the tweets in just one second. Let me get them open here. So we'll start off with a tweet from Derek Henry, and he wrote, at this point, just take the running back position out of the game then. The ones that want to be great and work as hard as they can to give their all to an organization just seems like it don't even matter. I'm with every running back that's fighting to get what they deserve. And this is in response to a tweet from Matt Miller, an ESPN draft analyst, and he tweeted out, been saying if he is, draft a running back, play the running back. If he's good, franchise take the running back one time and then draft a running back. Go right back to the start, and that's why Derrick Henry's upset. And then Jonathan Taylor actually replied to the same tweet from Matt Miller, and he wrote: One, if you're good enough, they'll find you. Two, if you work hard enough, you'll succeed. Dot dot dot. If you succeed, three, you boost the organization. Dot dot dot. And then dot 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 doesn't matter. You are running back. Then Najee Harris tweets back to what Derrick Henry wrote. I agree with my running back brothers around the NFL. History will show you that you need running backs to win. We set the tone every game and run through walls for our team and lead in many ways. This notion that we deserve less is a joke. Chris McCaffrey responded to a different tweet about long-term extensions not being reached for Barkley, Jacobs, and Pollard. And he said, this is criminal. 3 the best players in the entire league, regardless of position. And then one more tweet that I'm going to talk about is Austin Eckler applying to Matt Miller. And he said, this is the kind of trash that has artificially devalued one of the most important positions in the game everyone knows it's tough to win without a top running back and yet they act like we are discardable widgets. I support any running back doing whatever it takes to get his bag. So Saquon Barker tweeted all of these tweets in support of him. He did tweet right after the July 17th deadline or right before it, I should say 6 minutes before to 3.54 p.m., it is what it is. Luckily, the Giants ended up getting a one-year deal done with them, which is the rule. If you don't get that long-term extension by July 17th, the best you could do is either play under the tag or get a one-year deal, gets the one-year deal, so basically an adjusted franchise tag, and you'll be back with the Giants. So there's my thoughts on the Saquon Barkley situation. I think he obviously makes the Giants offense better. I don't really love the narrative that Saquon Barkley makes Daniel Jones uh, a lot better than he is. I think Daniel Jones is still a good quarterback without Saquon Barkley. I think Saquon Barkley does make the offense better in general, which helps Daniel Jones open pathways and definitely makes it easier for him to run the ball. But I do think Daniel Jones is a good quarterback regardless of whether or not Saquon Barkley is with the Giants. Saquon Barkley, a very good running back, but I think Daniel Jones is a very good quarterback as well. I think they make each other both better at the end of the day. So I'm happy to see Saquon Barkley being back with the Giants. So one of the pieces of news with the New York Giants is they just gave Andrew Thomas their left tackle Our new extension today, a five-year, $117.5 million extension given by the Giants today. Joe Shane getting the deal done there at $23.5 million per year, which is the second-highest front offensive lineman in the NFL behind Larry Tunsil. He's also getting $67 million guaranteed, which is the most-ever front offensive lineman. Before, the record was Ronnie Stanley at $64 million. Now it's Andrew Thomas, the Giants' franchise left tackle, getting $67 million guaranteed. So the Giants have dished out... $367.5 $367.5 million to Daner Jones, Dexter Lawrence, and Andrew Thomas this offseason, all of them being Gettleman draft picks. Dave Gettleman, I know he got a lot of slack as a Giants GM, but that's three first-round picks right there that got extended. With Saquon Barkley getting a new deal as well, even though it's a one-year deal, he's been extended. That's four first-round picks there from Dave Gettleman. Even if they're high picks, they were all re-signed to long-term deals. And if you look at it, there's even more plays that are going to get long-term extensions at some point that were Dave Gettleman draft picks, including Xavier McKinney at some point, he'll get an extension. And then maybe Aziz Ojalary, who was a second-round pick just like Xavier McKinney, but Ojolari's been struggling to stay healthy. But I think if he has a productive season, he's definitely shown flashes that he could be a good pass rusher in the NFL. He definitely has the talent as well. So he could be another extension that was a Gettleman draft pick at some point. So D- Dave Gettleman did put some pieces together on this Giants team that he didn't really get credit for. I know obviously not everything was great, At the end of the day, not everything's gonna obviously go well. Obviously the Nate Solda signing wasn't great. Obviously the Kenny Galladay signing wasn't great, but there's some other good pieces in there that he signed like James Bradbury, like Adoree Jackson, like trading for Leonard Williams from the New York Jets. There are some good things that he did as a Giants GM that I don't think he really got credit for, even though he wasn't the best GM in the world. There's some pieces now that you look at this team that Dave Gettleman brought in that ended up being successful players in the NFL. So I don't think he deserves all the slack that he constantly gets, just like Heim Bloom, the chief baseball officer for the Red Sox. He's put together a better team that most of his haters want to give him credit for, even though it's maybe not as good of a team that a lot of his big fans would say he's put together. But it's also not as bad as most of his haters would say either. I think Heim Bloom has done a better job than most people give him credit for. And with Joe Shane now, the new Giants GM, he's put together a good enough team on this field, just one year in that was good enough to compete. Even though some of these guys were getting them in pieces, he brought some of his own guys in as well and was good enough to get the Giants to the playoffs in year one. And today, signing Andrew Thomas, that long-term extension, keeps him through. The 2029 season with the Giants as a franchise left tackle, he's locked up through the 2029 season where he'll be 31 as a free agent in 2030. So Joe Shane has done pretty well with keeping the franchise talents around long-term, the deserve long-term extensions. Dexter Lawrence being one of them, he got four years, $87.5 million, at $21.875 million per year from the Giants. He's locked up through his age 30 season in 2027. And then Daniel Jones this offseason got four years, $160 million, he is locked up through his age 29 season in 2026. And now with Andrew Thomas, he won't be a free agent until 2030, where he'll be 31. So very productive offseason here for the Giants. Happy to see Andrew Thomas get the long-term extension he needs. And if you look at it, the last couple of days, the Giants got Saquon Barkley back and got Andrew Thomas on a long-term extension. Things are obviously looking up for Daniel Jones. He adds Darren Waller in the offseason, Paris Campbell, Jamison Crowder, Jeff Smith, Jalen Hyatt. John Michael Schmitz. The Giants are adding more and more talent around Daniel Jones. He's definitely going to have a better season than he had last year. Last year was a great, productive season. I think he has an even better season this year. And Daniel Jones deserves it. He deserves all the talent around him. He's a good enough quarterback to make a run and win a Super Bowl in this league. Even though people don't give him the credit he deserves and no one sees him as a Super Bowl winning quarterback like I do, I'm fine saying that. I've said it a million times that I've supported him through the thick and thin, just like I've supported a lot of players like Russell Westbrook. Supported him through all of the bad and the good of his time with the Los Angeles Lakers. Everybody loved bashing Russell Westbrook. I stayed with him. Same thing with Daniel Jones. I stayed with him through every step of the way. I think Daniel Jones is good enough to win a Super Bowl in the NFL, and I'm psyched to see what he does this season with the Giants. So now I'm going to conclude the episode with some news in the world of soccer, and that is Killing Mbappe and PSG's future together. PSG obviously knows Kylian Mbappe is probably going to leave as a free agent next summer. So they're really worried to figure out what they're going to do with the transfer situation and whether or not he's going to leave as a free transfer next summer. They want to get something back in return. and They got an offer from Al-Halal, a soccer club from Saudi Arabia, that would give them $332 million as a transfer fee. And they would also give Kylian Mbappe $776 million for one season to play in Saudi Arabia. Even though they know he's unlikely to ever resign, they probably know he's likely to go to Real Madrid as a free agent in a year anyways. They still are willing to offer all that money to try to get Kylian Mbappe in Saudi Arabia. $776 million is a lot of money for just one season. Obviously, that's more than the combined salaries of the top 17 salaries in the NBA. $761 million is what the top annual salaries of the top 17 players in the NBA get $761 million, and he would get more than that for just one year, more than the top 17 salaries in the NBA. It's also more than the payrolls of the New York Yankees and New York Mets, $630 million combined there. Also more than the 2023 earnings of every running back on an active roster in the NFL, which is $334 million. All of these stats here are coming from the score. I saw a post from them on Instagram earlier, and that also other post here, a different post here from Bleacher Report. It would be more than LeBron James's all-time earnings in the NBA at 531 million, and Mbappe would get 776 million for just one year. LeBron's all-time earnings in the NBA in his whole career since he was drafted, 531 million. He's made while being on the court as an NBA player. Obviously, he's made a lot as a player as well, off the court with his shoe brand and everything. But regardless, 531 million on the court. Then Patrick Mahomes makes $494 million total on his current deal through 2031. Mbappe's one-year deal would be more than that. It's also more than the value of the Arizona Coyotes at $450 million is what they're valued at. Brady's all-time earnings in the NFL, $332 million. Ronaldo's earnings per year, 213 million. So obviously Mbappe had a big offer and a big chance to go and make $776 million, but he won't be doing that. It seems like at the end of the day, is just gonna maybe finish the end of this time with PSG if they can't really find a suitor for him, and then really just go to Real Madrid next summer. And PSG does not even have Mbappe on their preseason tour roster in Japan. PSG doesn't wanna lose him on a free transfer next summer, so they're definitely looking for suitors and they're planning for the potential chance that Mbappe does not play for them this upcoming season. According to reports, they wanted a new answer from Mbappe on a new deal or a leave now by July 15th. They set that as a deadline. They said, give us an idea of whether or not you're actually going to accept a new deal or if you want to leave. They didn't really hear anything back, so now they have no option but to shop them. And even though there are teams that are interested in them, they do know whatever team that does trade for him is getting a six-month rental no matter what. At the end of the day, he's going to go to Real Madrid realistically. Madrid wanted him in 2021 and 2022, failed to get him. They offered 200 million euros as a transfer offer to try to get him in years past, but Mbappe ended up staying with PSG on a new contract, and even though this situation is similar to that, this has happened before with Mbappe when he didn't want to go back to PSG. He was lured by President Macron to come back at the last second. This is a very similar situation, but it's really not the same case this time around. I think everybody knows he's going to be gone. And obviously, this is a big loss for PSG. He came to PSG in 2017 and was a star right away, playing over 170 games in League One play and has 148 goals in League One play in his career. Obviously, very talented player and one of the best in the world. That's why this situation is obviously getting the headlines it deserves. But realistically, he's not going to be back with PSG, even though I'd love to see him back with PSG. Just things haven't really worked out there on him getting a new deal. So it seems like they're going to shop him, try to get a transfer. And obviously at the end of the day, they know he's going to leave and go to Real Madrid no matter what. And Saudi Arabia knew that when they tried to get him on a transfer for $776 million they offered them, and even offered $332 million as well to PSG to get him. They knew he was going to leave anyways, probably at the end of this six-month rental, but they were still willing to try to get him because of how much talent and how marketable of a player he would be for them in Saudi Arabia. So he ends up declining that offer from Saudi Arabia, but there's still a lot to come with this situation, obviously, in the future to figure out what's going to happen with PSG. Obviously, they still have him for this next season, but he'll be gone anyways as a free transfer. So we'll see what happens there. I'd love to see him stay with PSG. I actually went to Paris in 2019, and he was the big player then in Paris. You saw a million jerseys on every single person there wearing Mbappe. And then they get Messi even after that as well, which is really cool. They try to make a run with those two guys. And even though it didn't work out, it was cool to have two of the best talents in the world on the same team at the same time. I'd love to see him stay in Paris, obviously, with him being from there. But it just doesn't seem like that's really likely now. And he's going to be probably with Real Madrid anyways, no matter what the case may be. But I do wish him nothing but the best. We'll see what happens and I'll keep you guys posted about that situation. Anyways, thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it and hope you guys have a good one. Thank you.